Welcome to The Golden Shadow. My name is Lisa Polizzi. And I'm Aaron Rogerson. And today we are discussing internal family systems, aka IFS, which is a form of psychotherapy developed by Richard Schwartz that sees the psyche as divided into subpersonalities or parts. And each of these parts has its own perspectives, interests, memories, viewpoints. It it's interesting because it allows you really to access the different dynamics going on in your own personality or in your own experience through this lens that it's not just ego consciousness. It's not just this part of yourself that is the I, that is your mythic narrative, you might say, but acknowledging that there are these different experiences to such a refined degree that we can kind of build these profiles and begin to understand these parts and why they feel what they feel and why they do what they do. So parts work, you may be familiar with this term. We have explored the idea of parts work on the podcast before, very minimally, I think, Mm. but here and there, I think we've kind of mentioned it. Yeah. But we're talking about subpersonalities, right? And this doesn't necessarily refer to like someone who's schizophrenic and hearing voices or like you're uh, you have split personality. It's like, it's not that it's, it's the idea that, um, we can personify different aspects of the psyche. And if we personify things, they actually become more accessible, Yeah, easier to engage with, easier to sort of, um, imagine. Mm. So when we think of dreams, for instance, we often have figures that appear in our dreams. Yeah. And it's important to interpret those figures as not necessarily being literal figures like your mom in your dream is literally your mom. It's important to understand that your mom could be representative of like the mother archetype or something like that, right? So what that means is that there is some archetype, let's say the mother archetype, and the mom is the personification of that. Mm. And so dreams demonstrate this. There's aspects of our psyche that we are engaging with that are being personified or symbolized or all kinds of different ways. And that if we examine ourselves and sort of break ourselves into separate personifications, that we find that we can actually do some good therapeutic work. For sure. And so that's the idea that we're getting into is what does it mean to have parts or subpersonalities? How can you access them and how can you work with them? Yeah. It's interesting because it starts to kind of branch off into all these other theories like what is mythology and why is it useful? What Mm -hmm. is dreams? What are complexes even, which we've done a whole episode on. And really it's just this recognition that there's a, a really deep complexity to the psyche. And I'm also sort of being reminded of in revisioning psychology by James Hillman. He has this whole section on personification. And I think one of the most powerful things he points to, which is a point I think we've talked about, is the externalization, Hmm. how being able to say this is a part of me, yet project it outwards into a container creates this bridge where we can approach it. And that's why dreams are useful. I mean, that's even why tarot is useful, right? Mm -hmm. So the ability to recognize these different sort of psychological dynamics that are happening and not just say, oh, I'm angry and that's it. It's just my anger. But it's like that anger is a part and it has like a name even maybe or like a title and it has certain of your own memories that it's clustered around and it has uh, actions or behaviors that it drives. It shows up in your body in certain way. And so parts work, especially internal family systems, I think, really creates like this interesting holistic system to enter into the psyche with because we acknowledge these parts and then we recognize that we can come to understand them better, integrate better with them and kind of keep walking that road of, I don't know, sort of building the family relationship, Mm -hmm. the internal family, so that there's more of a sense of ease and understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. Right, without without digressing too much into sort of fun theoretical land, um, <laughs> but you mentioned like anger, for mm. instance. How can you how can you engage with your anger? Yeah. And one way you said to do it is is to externalize it somehow. Yeah. But, but what does that mean? How could you do that? And so the idea that you could personify anger yeah. is an interesting idea, and right. it sounds kind of silly. But if you look at you know 
the history of consciousness essentially with humans is like we were personifying anger and we were personifying drunkenness and we were personifying like the ocean and right that's aries right i am possessed by aries right so if you look at like the greek pantheon for instance and we've explored this and also every pantheon in every culture yeah um and even with like, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have a pantheon there. But essentially the, w- w- what's happening early in human consciousness, early in history, is that um, they're personifying aspects of their own psyche, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Um, and when they do that, they can actually engage with those aspects of subjective reality um, as if they're external things that you yeah. could walk up to and sort of like mess with. So if you're trying to engage with your anger... Like, what can you do about it? How can you problem solve it? How can you mm-hmm. understand it? How can you try to change it? It's like, that's very abstract. Yeah. But what if, what if anger was someone sitting across from you that you could talk to? Right. This is like, this gets into some of the parts work that we see in mm-hmm. gestalt therapy, right? Which mm-hmm. is like the other chair, mm-hmm. kind of the empty chair talking to the other chair or like moving yourself between it. So you, you see this thread through like a lot of different, I think, therapeutic modalities. But as you're saying, like, what would happen if you could dialogue with it? And sometimes you just like pretend it's in the chair sitting across from you or other times you develop this whole uh, kind of profile of anger following Mm -hmm. the IFS method, you would be able to come to understand it to such a degree that you could not only dialogue with it, but you might be able to even resolve some of its core issues. Right. So, um, one other way that you can kind of think of personification and the way that we engage with inner aspects by externalizing them is that we do this in like a negative way and that's projection, mm. right? So you're engaging with your anger often by projecting it onto someone else, like your spouse, for instance, like you have something inside of you that's really, there's a dark tension. It may be linked to something that's happened to you or some kind of trauma and maybe you have an anger problem and you're actually projecting it onto someone else as a way for them to contain this inner aspect. Mm. And then you might be, you know, getting mad at that person or you might be treating them poorly or acting like things are their fault. And so that's what projection is, is just an externalization of inner contents. Yeah. And so with IFS, for instance, you're trying to externalize those inner contents in the same way that you might project it onto another person, except you're doing so kind of in a imaginary way. Yeah. Instead of instead of taking your anger out on your spouse, you're just taking your anger and kind of like pretending the anger is with you somewhere even though it doesn't it doesn't exist as a person that you can harm let's say and i kind of wonder i don't i don't don't know enough about ifs but i kind of wonder if the the therapist or the practitioner sometimes serves as kind of like a projective container in that way of like i will be your anger Mm, talk to me for now i'm not sure if that's i don't know maybe maybe that could work this is this is a good time for our uh, usual disclaimer we are not therapists Mm -hmm. we are not trained in internal family systems but love to explore all these different uh modalities and theoretical frameworks. Um, so I have no idea if an IFS therapist does that, but man, would that be really, really interesting mm-hmm. to be able to kind of hold that, uh, that kind of projective container in real time. But from my understanding and from seeing Richard Schwartz do some of his work, it seems like he facilitates things in this very like imaginal meditative way. It's, it seems honestly just like active imagination mm-hmm. in my mind, at least. And he's facilitating the individual to be able to talk to that part. And then the, the person, the client is going to kind of maybe tell you what they've heard from the part. And then he's going to give new prompts. And so the therapist is kind of like guiding them through that process. Um, but certainly there is a lot of potential just of being able then to work with that part in other ways, like not just in the imaginal. Um, I'm wondering like in what other ways might you concretize the part that comes forward as you do IFS and maybe there isn't an individual who can play that part for you, but maybe there are ways to work with it like more artistically, you know, draw it or sculpt it or, or something like that to just continue to really, uh, kind of tap into it from this like multi-dimensional way so let's get into ifs kind of more specifically how, mm. what its structure is and how it actually works as a therapy yeah um internal family systems so again you're kind of exploring 
a inner family. Yeah. One way that like I've referred to it previously on the podcast is sort of an inner pantheon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, if you're thinking of like the Greek pantheon is like different personifications of phenomenological reality, like, you know, drunkenness or anger or heroism or the father or the mother, et cetera. Um, you can think of IFS as kind of being like an inner Greek pantheon. Yeah. Who's in your pantheon? Sure. Who's in your family? Yeah. And, there's specific personifications that IFS utilizes mm-hmm. and it's important to understand. I think that like, this is not the only way that you could do parts work. Absolutely. This is not exhaustive. Yeah. Like there's only three kinds of personifications in you. That's, you know, it's, it's way more kind of vague and blurry than that. But IFS utilizes specifically, uh, two types of personifications, which would be exiles, exiles. Mm-hmm. and protectors yeah and within protectors they have uh firefighters Mm -hmm. and managers managers yeah so with that you're dealing with exiles and exiles kind of represent um trauma in some ways some sort of wounded banished aspect of yourself because trauma is usually not not exclusively but usually linked to childhood Hmm. often the exiles kind of take on a sort of childlike um vibe or appearance yeah or like kind of stunted or stuck in the time that they uh were wounded Mm -hmm. so it could it could be any the exile could be anything i guess theoretically that you might want to choose for yourself but typically you could think of an exile as sort of like a banished child who is wounded and hiding Right. Yeah. A part of yourself that experienced rejection, abandonment, um, felt exploited, wounded, traumatized, you know, abused in some way. And I think that can really span that entire spectrum between like a really explicit, obvious trauma to much more implicit. And there's just something that's sort of been split off inside of you. It starts to kind of get into some of that interesting Uh, psychological theory of how we adapt when we deal with overwhelming experiences and what we tend to notice about the psyche is that it splits and it splits to sort of it's like it's like the least how do I say this like it's it's the 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 lowest common denominator on the really shitty scale of what you could do to adapt to a terrible situation right you know so compartmentalizing yeah right right so compartmentalizing things in yourself obviously but you can actually find other examples i think outside of this but compartmentalizing is one sort of quick fix Mm. heuristic to protect yourself sure if there's some part of you a metaphor that i kind of like is that if you have a building and there's a fire in one part of the building you can actually sort of isolate the fire you can like lock the doors and keep the fire in one spot and even though you're not trying to put it out you're keeping the rest of the building from burning down yeah. by isolating that fire yeah and it's like okay but the the, the place where the fire is is still going to burn down right. maybe there's people in there who are going to die yeah and so it's not ideal but it is one way to like a quick way to say well we'll protect the rest of the building by keeping the fire isolated mm. and so within ourselves if we have some kind of serious trauma the metaphor is that if we just compartmentalize that trauma, we can actually protect the rest of the psyche, right. the rest of the body, so it can keep functioning day to day because it needs to. Yeah. And it's not ideal, but you can get by that way. Right. And so that is probably evolutionarily like a adaptive thing that works to compartmentalize things. But like long-term health obviously is affected by that and there's dysfunctions that manifest absolutely that's like the the big task of a lot of shadow work is that parts of ourself have been cut off Mm. because they needed to because we needed to adapt uh because we didn't have the psychological tools or the emotional support or the right um people in our life to help us navigate it so those parts you know they get stuck they get exiled they get cut away but they still exist in the system and they will drive in a very sometimes overt or less overt way, difficult feelings, behavior patterns. Um, they might be at the core of a lot of sense of like a depressive nature or this um, almost like even nihilistic feeling, you know, like what is the point of everything? Shame, 
fear, panic, overreactions. Um, but at the core, I think these parts really want love. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be redeemed. They want to be brought back from exile. And I think that's another sort of core tenet about internal family systems is that despite these burdens or these weights that the parts carry, they can be brought back into the fold through the kind of like dialectical process, you might say, right? Like we engage it, it brings things up for us. We try to integrate that. And slowly over time, if that exile feels like it's being heard or acknowledged, it starts to come back in a way like it, you own it and it might be really painful and really difficult to hold all of that emotional pain that it carries but at a certain point I think the psyche and the spirit is ready to come to that or hopefully at some point so protectors are protecting the exiles yeah and the first kind of protector are managers. Mm -hmm. And so managers can be thought of as sort of being proactive, as in they are trying to protect the exiles by maintaining a safe environment or getting things done ahead of time mm -hmm. or nipping things in the bud before yeah. they can trigger right. the exile. So if there's all these ways in which the exile inside of you could be triggered or accessed or yeah. brought to consciousness and then that will result in all this pain yeah. or all this wounding that you have to sort of like confront again um the managers are trying to essentially maintain an environment where that won't happen yes. and they're doing so proactively yes so that could be keeping uh you know your house incredibly organized it could be working really really hard to stay focused and not dwell on sad things um it could be doing a ton of exercise mm -hmm. um, to make sure that you're really healthy and fit. It could be doing a lot of like social management with yeah. your friends and family. Uh, it could be dysfunctional or functional. I mean, depending yeah, on it, for, for other people, but for you, um, the manager is essentially trying to protect the exile from getting triggered. Yeah. Yep. It wants to protect the system from any alarms going off. And so in that way, there's a tight grip that the managers have to keep the system running in as uh, healthy way as possible. And it sees the exile ultimately as a threat to that kind of homeostasis. So it can be, I think in certain people, very controlling. Um, it can keep you from engaging in certain things in life that feel scary, or it could, I think on the flip side, drive someone to be like incredibly ambitious so that there's this constant feeling of like superiority or power and the feeling of not having that power would be very, very dangerous because there's a part that at one point felt disempowered. So you have to consider the entire spectrum of how a manager can show up because it's not just going to be purely uh, dysfunctional. As you said, it can be very, very functional. Mm -hmm. So the next one is firefighters mm -hmm. and firefighters are reactive so the manager is proactive they're trying yeah. to maintain a safe environment where nothing will go wrong firefighters appear when things go wrong yeah <laughs> so um if the exile is accessed or triggered something like that there's a situation that brings the exile out um firefighters will rush in to try and handle the situation mm -hmm. like um crisis control yeah um like so one way that I think that like, you could imagine this um, sort of um, imagistically is that like if you have in the center, you have the exile and the exile is being protected. Um, you have managers that are kind of in an outer circle. They're kind of running circles around the exile, doing everything they can to like build a wall, hmm. build a fence up and say nothing can get to the exile. The exile is safe. The exile is protected. And I'm going to do all this stuff around the exile constantly. And maybe that's like building little boundaries and barriers or like hacking at weeds or like fighting all the monsters that are on the outside of the wall. It's like the manager's just running around. And then occasionally, let's say the manager's wall gets breached yeah. and something gets into the walls and it's going for the exile. The firefighter is like this, you know, gigantic strong man that'll come out or like maybe it's like a giant dragon, however you want to think about it, that'll immediately leap out to 
protect the exile mm. in a very kind of uh, relatively like maybe violent or kind of explosive yeah. kind of way, maybe like less controlled. But that's when there's some sort of catastrophe or crisis happening yeah. where the exile is truly in danger. And so it's reactive. Yeah, I would I would even argue that that what you said, like the exiles in danger, it's like, yeah, I think that's true. But I think it's also like the exile has been let loose. Mm -hmm. And what happens when internally the thing that has been trying to be kept under wraps is let loose because it's too powerful. And what that looks like in an individual is like you're getting flooded, right? You've mm -hmm. had a trauma response. Maybe you feel like you're about to have a panic attack. Um, maybe you're feeling really, really scared. Whatever it is that connects back to that exile story, right, is no longer kept in check. Now, like that powerful inner child that has all that wounding, it's all flowing. Mm -hmm. And the firefighters are jumping in. And what I find it interesting, at least about the way that some of the literature talks about firefighters, is that they tend to address these things in like very impulsive ways hmm. they want to squash what is happening as quickly as possible and so you know i don't know not being a practitioner not having a ton of experience i'm sure that there's a really big spectrum of how this shows up for people but they mention it it tries to stifle the energy it tries to anesthetize it it tries to distract you hmm. so what happens when you feel that intense overwhelm or you have a stress response that might be some interesting ways to find the firefighter. Like there's a tendency for me to want to, uh, go grab some alcohol and just like drink myself till like I black out. It's mm -hmm. like, that's like a firefighter response mm -hmm. and it's very unhealthy. Um, and one thing that I think can be interesting between the two protectors is that the manager can find the actions of the firefighter to be like quite, um, drastic. Yeah, but also disruptive, disruptive, unhealthy, doesn't mm. like it. Like the, the two might battle mm. and be sort of like polarized against each other because the firefighter's just doing whatever the hell it can do to calm you down, basically. And like maybe the good firefighter part of us is like, I need to go on a walk. I need to take a cold shower. I need to go on a hike. I need to go sit and meditate. That's mm. probably like really nice balanced firefighter part. Interesting. Yeah. The good firefighter. Right. The good Sounds firefighter. Sounds like a, a movie. <laughs> um, let's do some really brief examples real quick. Just so it, one example might be that you have someone who is like a very, very high powered professional. Mm. Let's say a guy who like works very, very hard to sort of maintain an image of being uh, large and in charge and an adult who has a lot of financial resources mm. and is very prestigious at their job. Maybe it's a businessman. And so you could say the exile inside the businessman, let's say, is like a little boy somewhere who feels kind of weak and um, self-loathing and insufficient, mm. uh, fearful. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the psyche doesn't want to experience those feelings. It doesn't want to deal with them. doesn't want to try and integrate them. It's too much work. It's too painful. Yeah. So that, that fearful kind of weak sort of self-loving child is locked away by the adult that steps in. Yeah. And so this is the manager. Mm -hmm. And let's say the manager is like, got to get a good job. Got to make lots of money. Got to mm -hmm. wear a good suit. Gotta have nice hair. Gotta smile all the time. Like, yeah. gotta look real, like functional, yeah. real accomplished, real, just like super professional adult all the time. And that's the manager. And the manager is doing the best it can to sort of like hide this child and make sure it never gets exposed by the world that no one ever sees any weakness in him. Mm. Right. And then the firefighter in this man might be, let's say, you're a friend of the man. You've been a friend with him for a long time, maybe since he was a kid. Like, so you know him really, really well. And you sense that he is working himself too hard mm -hmm. and that he is too focused on his job and that he's actually kind of like missing out on a lot of his life or his marriage is failing or who knows. But as a friend, you go to him 
and you start to talk to him about who he is and you start to point out ways in which perhaps he is running from something. Mm. You start to kind of try to access the exile, right? Yeah. Like, so I think there's a little boy in you and I think that he actually <laughs> wants to like just settle some down. Light conversation. Yeah. Just like he wants to like, maybe, maybe there's some part of you that's actually afraid of failure or is afraid oh. of being weak. Yeah. And like, so you're like, I'm talking about myself essentially, um, <laughs> but going to someone and sort of like getting real and saying these things and you're trying to access the exile by doing that. Right. Yeah. And so the high power businessman, a firefighter might come out. Yeah. Because senses, like I've, I've touched something. Right. Right. The exile was being accessed or mm. the exile was being threatened or the exile might get out. Right. I might start crying if I talk to him. I can't, I can't let that happen. So the firefighter comes and the firefighter is just like this very angry behemoth. Who's just like, yeah. fuck off, get yeah, away from me. Right. Like, Rage. like yeah. what's your problem, man? Yeah. Like I'm yes. not talking to you anymore. We're not friends anymore. Yes. Get the fuck away from me. Absolutely. You know? And so that's the firefighter who's coming yeah. out. And so, this businessman who's in control, um, that's the manager. Uh, the firefighter is like an angry side that comes out to protect the exile mm -hmm. and the exile is a boy. Yeah, yeah. So that's a pretty like basic yeah, example. That's a good example. Um, one last sort of part or an aspect of IFS that it's important to talk about is self. I don't want to call it the self. Right, right, right. <laughs> this like, is important. Yeah. Um, but self it's basically the Jungian self for all you Jungians listening. Um, another thing that Richard Schwartz uh, sort of uh, viewed in his clients, I think, as he was developing this, was that there also exists within us a state of balance. Uh, it, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a part, but rather the complete like manifestation of the totality of our psyche that has the potential to heal and to integrate that is grounded accepting open non-reactive it's calm and we are that at our core at the core we are self it is the higher self it is the young self uh, there's probably a ton of terms in other spiritual traditions and my understanding is in ifs they try to come back to self because when we're in the midst of like the battle between parts or accessing something that's really difficult, if we can bring forth self, we can tap into a part of us that feels that openness, that compassion, that connectedness. And you might get a little bit closer to feeling healed, even just one step, or maybe like self is kind of evoked before the process begins or the therapist is evoking their self and thus kind of trying to constellate it in their client. So this is like another important part to acknowledge with IFS um, is that the parts aren't just having to do this alone, but rather that there is something much more intelligent and wise and sort of almost transpersonal in nature that can guide that process. So this is difficult, this part. And again, um, the Jungian self, like that's not a simple thing to grasp. Mm. Um, and I think there's actually, again, I'm not super familiar with IFS, so I, I can't really comment, comment with complete confidence, but like, I feel like it's kind of problematic if you try to think of the self as sort of being like the ascended higher self or mm. like God, which mm. is like, you know, one way that like self is phrased, the Jungian self is like, it's like, it's God. Um, and I think if you're trying to be practical with this method, I think probably the simplest way to think of self is that if, if I'm the high power businessman, mm -hmm. so I have three parts I'm working with and one part is the high powered adult manager, the banished child exile and the flaming behemoth firefighter. Yeah. Those are my three parts, but who's me, right? Mm -hmm. If those are my parts and none of those are, me exactly then like how do we even approach this work like who am i quote unquote and that's can be kind of, that can be kind of confusing right mm -hmm. if i'm engaging with the banished child yeah. who's engaging with it right right so we can think of the self as sort of a place of balance and stability mm. agency it is sort of like maybe the gestalt of all the parts yeah yeah but that's a good way the, the only it. way that you can address a part is from somewhere and you're not addressing the banished child from 
the high-powered businessman. That's not the point. That doesn't right. work. Yeah. You have to uh, access the banished child from somewhere else. Yeah. So in in this context, I think the self can be thought of like, can you find a place of balance, tranquility, agency, um, you know, clarity, a stable position mm. from which we can re we can access these parts yeah. and then we can return to stability yes. and access the parts and yes. return to stability, yes. access the parts. So when we talk about the self in this context, that's kind of the best we can do. I think yeah. it's kind of like, think of it like in that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just like what you're saying is bringing up stuff uh, that we talked about in our SE episode around mm. pendulation is like, mm. we need to find a resource when we're dealing with really difficult parts. And so we are in the midst of battling the fiery anger behemoth. Then can you come back to a sense of, as you said, tranquility, calmness, acceptance, and that in this model, at least is sort of modeled as self. Um, and what that really looks like, I think can be like really, really different, especially if you're kind of blending like an SE approach with an IFS approach, but it's, it's you start to see that everyone's kind of mapping similar territory here. But that's the point, right? Is like we need to come to a part that feels resourced. We need to come to a part that feels like it can handle this. And being able to move between those two poles in that kind of pendulating style will allow you to deal with like that crazy behemoth fire dragon that wants to like rip everyone's head off. Yeah. So the self as kind of like the superordinate right. complex. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Again, that's confusing. What does that mean? Um, but if, let's say, the manager and the firefighter are opposed to each other mm -hmm. and they're fighting each other all the time mm. and the exile is whining and trying to get out of his cage all the time and the manager keeps shoving him back in, you know, you can think of sort of like a conflicted, contradictory self mm. where like it's fractured. And the goal of IFS would be to have these parts not be opposed to each other, but actually working together, mm. holding each other's hands yeah. and kind of being in a solid team. Yeah. yeah. So you could, you could have a group of five people who are all trying to win a situation and everyone's just beating each other with sticks, right? Like the five of ones. <laughs> yes. You could, you could have a situation <laughs> like that, or you could have all five people as a solid team working mm. together towards a common goal. Yeah. And so IFS is trying to do that. Can you make the manager and the firefighter actually get along and work together towards um, a common good life? Yeah. And so the self as the sort of superordinate part essentially yeah. is all the parts Yes. and trying to get all the parts ideally to work together instead of being fractured. Yeah. And I, I think what this brings up as well is the sense that by working within this model, you recognize at, at the core of it, like all of these parts are you, but like you're also like completely detached and disconnected from the story of these parts, why it's doing what it's doing. We're sort of semi-conscious of these habits that we might have and as you start to delve into this process and dialogue with the parts and ask it these questions and why it feels what it feels and why it does what it does you start to get this history that is of course your history but different right mm -hmm. and you come to realize i think this is quite typical that these figures don't want to live the way that they're living like the the protector parts would rather that energy be filtered as elsewhere. The exile would rather be free and open and carefree. And it starts to shine a light on how much of ourselves that we keep locked away, how tight of a grip we keep on ourselves just to make sure everything's okay. And as you acknowledge that there are these wounds, the parts also with this like really dynamic like intelligence kind of communicate to you what it needs to feel safe what it needs to feel acknowledged and a lot of that is that deep shadow work of, of reconnecting to these parts that have been cut away and then adapted around so it's hard work it's really deep work it can be really triggering work which is why it's important to go slow but there's a way I think for the system to be, to be healthier and to feel more in alignment. So there isn't such tension 
and that sense of, of the family being at odds with one another. Yeah, I think you make a really interesting point, um, which is that these other parts are unconscious, mm, right? Yeah. And that's why it's important to treat them with a lot of curiosity and openness. Certainly. And even though they are you, you don't actually know them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, and that's, that's the whole thing about IFS is like, you're, you're working with parts and these parts, um, you know, at least supposedly with anyone who's doing it for the first time, it's like, you, you've never, you're not familiar with these parts. You've mm -hmm. never accessed them before. You don't know, you don't know they exist. Maybe you have some idea of like, well, I get really angry when people talk to me a certain way and you have that. But the part of the theory here is that the parts are actually subjects. Mm -hmm. They're not just like yes. objects. Yeah. Yeah. They're actually people in yeah. some way that have perceptions and histories. They're like little people. And they have a belief system. Mm -hmm. um, they have a method for how to live, et cetera. Yeah. And so that's not just like a useful way to address this. It's actually like might be kind of true. Yeah. And there's a lot of theory about this that I think you can read about, especially in Jung's work, is that there's different even maybe you wouldn't say egos, but essentially there's different complexes in you right, that are yeah. basically their own consciousnesses. Right. Yes. Um, and you don't know them because they're unconscious. So you don't know their story. You don't know where they came from. You don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And you have to approach them with that kind of curiosity and openness. Um, and the process is that you get to know them. Yeah. And even if you don't like them at first, like I don't like this part. I don't like the banished child. Yeah. He's, whiny and stupid and like he needs to grow up yeah like you might not like him but the idea is that you actually get to know the child and the child is you and that instead of being like shut up to the banished child you get to a place where you're like oh come here buddy like and you like yeah. pick him up and put him on your shoulder yeah and walk around with him and he's your friend yeah um and that the banished child is it's going to be much much more effective if you if you treat the banished child as if it actually has subjectivity and it's yes. actually a real person with a real history and with real feelings. And, and again, there's, you know, there's a fine line here, maybe not that fine, maybe pretty vague line, but you know, ob obviously you don't want to get too carried away with IFS and start, you know, behaving like a crazy person and being like, they're uh, you know, again, like schizophrenic. Like I think part of what they say about IFS is like, it doesn't work for like people who have mental, like serious mental health problems because mm -hmm. they actually get confused. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like schizophrenic people might actually like start reifying these parts in like ways that like mm -hmm. are not actually very useful. Like we're like, oh, like the, the boy, like he was here and he stole something or yeah. he set, he set the house on fire, not mm -hmm. me, you know, like whatever. Um, but regardless, it's important to approach the parts as if they are subjects. Absolutely. Yeah. I think in Jung's work, the, that dynamic aspect of complexes is referred to as splinter psyches. Mm. So it's like, and as complexes do, which as we've discussed in our episode, it's like these groupings of images and ideas and experiences and emotions that all um, converge around some sort of experience, usually with an, um, an archetypal core and a um, some sort of personal layer as well. So around the sort of complex of like the exile, you might say, is that it has all these memories that created it, memories of being ignored in childhood and then the emotions that came with it. And then every time it experienced this feeling of being shut down as it grew up, that gets, you know, drawn into the complex. And there are interesting images that might be associated with that too. And what you'll find with doing IFS, especially if you approach it in you kind of trying to like walk around those wheel of experiences, you know, image behavior, affect, like the Saibam model essentially is like, how does the part show up emotionally? Uh, what images are coming up? Where do you feel it in your body? And it, those things will often produce if you work at it, it, you will get that insight. And very much so you realize that these parts are like little people. They're little parts of you with their personality their experiences with their emotions and with certain images that they'll produce that are incredibly insightful into what their story is, but also like what they need to feel acknowledged and healed. So let's get into the method a little deeper. So as we've mentioned, all the parts are burdened. Yeah. They don't want to be burdened. Yeah. They don't like the, the firefighter doesn't like the fact that fires are happening in his house. Yeah. 
He doesn't want to have to go put out fires constantly. So all the parts are burdened and the method of IVS is trying to unburden the parts. Yeah. And it's a slow process, right? A gradual process takes a lot of time. It's not something that you're going to, you're not going to unburden yourself in one session. Um, but the idea is that the protectors are burdened in some sense by the exile. Mm. And the exile is burdened by its trauma or wounding. Yeah. And so there's a method here, which is that before you can get to the exile, you have to in some way make peace with the protectors. Yeah. And they have to agree to stop protecting for a moment. Or even like let you have access to the exile. Right. I will like open the gates for you and you can enter the castle where the exile is for now. For now. And we'll we'll see how it goes. But you have to actually kind of, you know, negotiate with the protectors essentially to get them to trust you Mm. and to let you go find the exile. And then only then you can work with the exile and maybe you can unburden the exile. Yeah. And if you can unburden the exile, the protectors won't have to protect it anymore. Yeah. And the protectors will be unburdened. And it doesn't mean that all the parts will just disappear or anything like, oh, like I'm cured and they like vanish, you know, into thin air. Like they'll still be there, but they won't be burdened. Mm. And the self, like your whole self, therefore won't be burdened in the same way. And so we're all carrying around all these burdens. A lot of it's trauma. A lot of it is stuff that actually doesn't help help us very much. It's making us dysfunctional. It's a very, it's like a ball and chain that we're carrying around with us. And that could be linked to all kinds of bad experiences or strange confusions we've had as children that we still carry with us. And um, the whole idea with IFS is that we're going to try to find a way to take those burdens off, like unshackle ourselves, get rid of the ball and chain. Mm. The trauma is not going to disappear from memory, but if we can find a way to have it not hurt us so much to integrate it, that's the idea. So you have to go to the protectors, negotiate. They let you see the exile. You go to the exile. Maybe you can get the exile to heal and Mm -hmm. become unburdened. Once the exile is unburdened, the protectors are now unburdened. Yes. Everyone's yeah. a happy family. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. That's the idea. So we're going to run through an exercise. Right. So we're going to try this live <laughs> and we'll reiterate again that we are not practitioners. Um, neither of us have, Alyssa and I have played around with similar ideas. Yes. It's funny because we've sort of like developed a version of this. Yeah. Before like really diving into internal family systems. Right, right. We we have we have our own thing that we played around with that I, that I call the Pantheon, which is is different a different approach. There's similarities, but it's it's very different. Uh, I like this method. I think this is like very interesting as mm-hmm. an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we don't really know exactly what we're doing, so please forgive us if you are an IFS specialist and you're like they're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's like okay, we understand. We're not actually practicing on anyone though. Yes. Um, just sort of exploring it conceptually so our listeners can kind of understand how yeah. this might work right so we're going to try it live um we haven't really prepped for this very much so i'm going to be the patient i mm-hmm. guess and Alyssa is going to be the guide and we're going to try and guide me through what might be a typical ifs uh mini session i guess you could say yeah and for this as we mentioned we want to try to access and work with a protector part so Aaron has thought a little bit about trying to access a manager part. Is that correct? Yes. So if, um, if I'm thinking about a manager, just generally speaking in my life, um, there is definitely a kind of adult part of me or a responsible part of me that um, has a strong bias towards order mm. and strong bias towards truth and honesty and responsibility, high conscientiousness. Yeah. The idea that like you should be a good person who gets things done and tells the truth and tries to solve problems and help the world, et cetera. And that part of me can be very proactive in trying to sort of go around and keep things in order Mm -hmm. or fix things that are broken and seek out problems and solve them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is good. So similar to how you might set up for doing like an active imagination, you know, first steps here is really to just take a few calming breaths, you know, settle into your seat, just kind of ground into the body and bring some awareness inwardly to 
any sensations you're feeling or the quality of your breath. Really trying to enter into a mindful state towards this part. And before we really explore this, it's good for us to invite in that sense of self that we talked about, that curiousness, that compassion, connectedness, tranquility. Can you feel that? Yeah. Okay. So I want you to start imagining a figure that is present during these times where you feel the drive towards order, the drive towards finding the problems and solving them. And see if there's any images that come up and you can describe that if you sense that there might be a figure or a picture of something. Okay. And you feel like you've got something, you can describe it to me. Okay, so I have an image. Um, and this is interesting, and I'm going a little bit off script with what you're describing, but I'm going to talk about it anyways because it's interesting. So I have an image of the self, and the self is kind of a version of me that's sort of like golden and shining with light who's sort of like meditating at the top of some sort of cosmic structure and he's kind of like calm in control he's wise and he kind of sees all and he's just sort of observing mm -hmm. like he's not intervening and he's sort of at the top of this structure yeah and as he looks down running around in circles around him is a figure and this figure is kind of uh, a sort of boxy, stout robot. Mm. And this robot goes around and is trying to solve problems. Mm. And so the robot sees like maybe like a pipe that's broken and he uses his robot magic to fix it. Um, or he sees like a cat in a tree and he goes and gets the cat out of the tree. So there's like some like heroism that's kind of going on there. Just like doing the right thing. Um, there's people who are having an argument and the robot walks up and finds a way to mediate the argument and like make them hug and mm. reconcile. And um, just kind of like a, almost like superhero, like figure but kind of like oblivious and sort of robotic mm. going around the city and just like fixing things. Yeah. Are you able to approach the robot right now? Okay. Is it willing to talk to you? Mm-hmm. Can you ask this part, what is your role? Do you want to answer or? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> robot says to save the world. Mm. How does it perform this role? What does it do? What typical actions does it take? Um, it takes responsibility. It speaks the truth. It self-sacrifices. Um, it puts itself in harm's way to rescue someone else. Um, it's heroic. Hmm. How does it apply this to Aaron's life? Um, well, this is a lot of what drives one side of Aaron is to be heroic and to do the right thing and to um, keep things from falling apart. Mm. Does this part come forward to address anything internally? If you're feeling anything or trying to work with different dynamics in your own life or your own feelings, does it try to play a role there as well? You mean like inner saving? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's aspects of like being better. Um, the robot is trying to find ways for RN to like get more stuff done, be more productive, um, strategies to problem solve better, um, be braver, mm. be more patient, be more compassionate, be wiser. So there's a lot of like self work that the robot is trying to organize and execute, I mm. think. What does this part think would happen if it didn't play that role for Aaron? Um, I think this part is afraid that, uh, well, externally that like things would kind of fall apart and that there are people that are in trouble that would become more troubled and there's things in the world that would collapse that shouldn't collapse and there's relationships that would fail that shouldn't fail stuff like that um and more inwardly i think the robot believes that if he didn't do what he did that arn would fail at life mm. and sort of like crumble and vanish become someone who is burdensome to others and uh, quote unquote like a loser um be undesirable as a friend or as a romantic partner uh and to family um just become like a undesirable like shitty human being i guess how does this part protect you from pain? Um, I think there's the pain of failure, like I said, or the pain of I'm not good enough, or the pain of I am weak, or the pain of I am afraid mm -hmm. that the robot is trying kind of hard to sort of make sure those things don't arise. Because if I'm, I guess you could say, because like if Arn is strong, then he won't be weak. And if Arn is brave, then he's not afraid. Mm. And if Arn works hard, then he won't be a loser. And if Arn uh, is heroic and brilliant, then people will desire him. Mm. Is there any way that this part shows up in your body? Uh, hands. I think if I'm no longer staring at the robot, but I kind of imagine like the robot is like overlaid onto my body right now. And I'm like in robot, robot mode that like the hands are the things that access tools and solve problems and get things done. Um, there's also like mouth tongue stuff. Mm. And my guess is that would have to be, that'd be linked to like language. And the logo, dare I say, like the ability to problem solve and create order. Can you ask this part if there's, if it could imagine that it didn't have to play this role, it didn't have to protect you or keep things in order, is there something else that it would like to do instead? I don't know. That's a difficult question. I guess one way to think about it is that like the robot almost imagines that like if he could build some great machine that would protect everyone, that he wouldn't have to do anything anymore mm. and that he could just relax. But like the machine's like not built. So he like needs to keep working on it or something. Does he feel tired or burdened? Yeah. So he would like to free up some of that energy if possible. I think the robot would feel unburdened if it didn't have to take care of the world anymore. Mm -hmm. If the world was already saved or people were already saved and like everyone was sort of happy and healthy and functioning. And if so, like maybe he could just spend time like doing puzzles or something. Um, or 
things that are kind of like more fun, like hobby-ish mm-hmm. and are not so much like um, protection and uh, fixing and preventing, but more just sort of like creativity. Mm. Is there anything the part wants you to know? Anything it wants to share? Um, I think it wants to tell me that it's okay and that it can keep going. Mm. Probably feels like it has the strength. Yeah. Mm. I just want you to extend a bit of gratitude to this part and feel some of that compassion and connection and let it know in whatever way seems natural to you that you see it and you appreciate what it does and when you're ready you can let go of that image and open your eyes so I wish I can see this but the people at home can't see this like I'm like really teary eyed and it's interesting that there's a there's as we said there's like another parts work kind of thing that I've played with for a while and I, I have developed it because it works for me and it actually uh, it actually accesses some sort of like emotional side of me or some sort of sensitivity in, in me that like isn't accessed otherwise and mm-hmm. so anyways I've found parts work personally to be like very effective for at least accessing inside of me that's difficult to access yeah um, and you could probably even hear it just sort of in some of the quivering of my voice that I was getting emotional there. Um, and that's interesting, right? <laughs> uh, it's not clear that you could get to a place like that if you were having sort of a more kind of abstract philosophical conversation. For sure. So because instead this is like almost like I am talking, I am communing with someone or something, all the human social mechanisms are being activated there mm. as opposed to just sort of like you know theoretical thinking mind like you discussing might... like my conscientiousness it's like there's no there's no going emotional there but yeah. because it's like almost like i am talking with someone who i am sympathetic to because it's me and yeah. someone who struggles and i know because it's me but it's like another person it's like it's activating essentially some some realm inside of you that's difficult to access otherwise and i think mm. that's why mm-hmm. why ifs works and what yeah. the point is right is and you know we can speculate as to why that is for me like this might not work for you but like because i'm like a pretty strong intuitive like this yeah. might tap into the mythos mm. function of the psyche mm. which is kind of like story narrative mm-hmm. and that like to me is like really activating yeah or it's like a different side um my psyche might not be as activating to me yeah i i would also question if we're entering a little bit more into the feeling space for you which as Mm. we know as an intuitive thinking type is not necessarily your go-to way of relating to the world and by stepping into the non-rational space we are putting aside ego's typical tendencies of how it relates and how it's ordering everything and you're being sort of forced to interact and relate to different parts of yourself and it's being done through this more sort of subtle symbolic emotional way and i think especially for you that really activates a part that isn't always as accessible and that's why i think this practice or practices similar to it or like a necessary pillar in the approach to self-work because the talk therapy or discussing things from a theoretical framework only go so far. They're important, right? But it's not the only path. And we talked about the somatics. That's another really important part. And now we're kind of getting into this more subtle, imaginal space. And I have sort of similar experiences when I do active imagination or like Um, journeying style exercises and I think that's at least from my understanding what internal family systems is partly facilitating by allowing you to do that inner dialogue and maybe even 
EMDR to a certain degree as well. So it's powerful and it sort of shifted your consciousness aside and allowed a different process to rise to the surface. Definitely. So for people at home, how could they begin to explore this kind of therapy and maybe you don't have access to someone who is a professional who could guide you through this. Um, but maybe you want to start working on it on your own some way. Yeah. How could they get started? I think, you know, um, I'm going to plug this uh, by the books. (laughs) It's really helpful. And I think the IFS literature is extremely accessible. Um, I believe there's like a a newer edition of like the IFS manual, essentially that Richard Swartz wrote. It's very accessible. Um, Get that and start reading it and understand. Uh, But there's a lot of resources online. I believe they have a website as well that goes into some of the theory. So it's helpful just to read and understand the framework. You can even just read the Wikipedia, honestly, and get some basic understanding. And if you don't have say, all of the framework to work off of like the different prompts to think about, or I know that some people really struggle to kind of self administer IFS, like to take yourself through that process that I just took you through. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do it to like pretty high success. I think it's just like a lot of um, experience and similar exercises, mm-hmm. but instead you can kind of turn it into journal prompts and kind of walk through those different levels of questioning of like, how are you going to try to understand a part of you that is a protector? Start there, like list manager, list firefighter, and think about like, what are the tendencies that I have to keep my life in order to be proactive? What's my reactive stress response? And just start there at that little trailhead, as they call them in IFS, these little points where you might be able to walk a path and understand what am I feeling when this comes up? Uh, what emotions, what body sensations, any images, just start to try to interact and see if you can find a part and then dialogue with it a little bit more or um, at least sketch out like the profile, you might say. And another thing I would say is to keep an eye on different things going on in your life. And if you notice like something happens and you had like a really strong reaction use that as a starting point to figure out what parts are present and kind of walk through um, kind of identifying like what's going on emotionally. Can you feel a part? What does it look like? Does it have a name? Where do you feel it in your body? Does it have anything to say? What does it want? Why is it behaving this way? Um, So track any of those patterns and use that loose framework of like exiles and protectors to try to figure out what some of those most common parts are that are most present for you. Yeah. Um, to reiterate what Alyssa said, I I think you can journal about this. Um, you can actually sit down and kind of try to write about this. And as Alyssa said, I think it's good to sort of examine any situations that have happened to you. Mm. Um, if you found yourself really losing your temper in a situation or you, got extremely emotional or you got extremely triggered in a situation um, to try and examine that objectively and say, what happened there? What triggered me? How did I respond to it? How long did it last? Et cetera. Um, so there's that, you know, you can also like look at like uh, your manager activities, like what are the kind of behaviors that I engage in um, to sort of keep myself safe? Mm-hmm. You might say, and that can be kind of abstract, but you can still kind of play around with like, Am I kind of a control freak in certain ways about certain things and why? What is that? Um, And again, you can also sort of look back on your life and sort of examine any sort of difficult situations you were in as a child. And if you do that, one, one way to begin with this, I think, is you could just say, so I'm going to imagine the version of me that lost his temper at this party. Mm. I'm going to imagine that version of me and I'm going to talk to him even though it's just me. Yeah. Like it's just Aaron from last week at this party when he lost his temper, let's say. And that can be a place to start. And I can just start conversing with that Aaron as if he's a different part. And be like, what happened, dude? What are you feeling right now? Yeah. Like, what, what are you doing and why? Um, and, this, you know, the same questions that Alyssa was asking. 
me, you could ask this part and you could, you know, write along in your notes as you do this. Um, and you know, same thing if, if you're examining kind of like a difficult point in your childhood and again, you know, you know, uh, disclaimer, be careful about doing this kind of thing. And if you actually are a victim of serious trauma, you should seek professional help. Yeah, absolutely. But if you feel like you have enough sovereignty to sort of examine difficult things in your past, you could say, you know, five-year-old Aaron, there was this one time when you felt really, really scared because whatever happened and you could bring that Aaron up and say, Hey, five-year-old Aaron, what were you feeling in this moment? What happened? How are you feeling now in response to it, et cetera? And that can be a place to start. It's just versions of yourself from different situations. And if you want to get really, you know, creative and, um, mythical about it, I think that can be really useful. I like that. Like the robot is obviously not a version of me from any point in my life, though maybe in the future, who knows what the future holds. <laughs> but, um, you know, another, another, uh, version of myself that I interact with is like, a, it's like a little demon. And then like another version is like a vampire. And so like, these aren't like, you know, quote unquote me exactly, but you can play with that and you might find that more powerful if these parts are more dreamlike mm. and less sort of like anchored yeah. or bounded to a sort of literal reality that has to make sense. Yeah. Absolutely. If it doesn't make sense, that's okay. Yeah. Cause this is, you know, the unconscious realm and not everything makes sense down there. Yeah. So there's all kinds of ways to play with this. Um, get the books, uh, and start researching it. And, uh, if you are interested in exploring this further, just conceptually, of course, you can always, uh, contact myself or Alyssa and work with us. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow org. If you'd like to keep up to date with my musings and writing, subscribe to the Golden Shadow Journal at goldenshadow.substack.com. If you're interested in working with myself or Alyssa, go to our websites, alyssapolitzi.com and arnrogerson.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>